episode of Green Jeans. I am your one co-host, Annika Van Rossum, joined by my other co-host, Maya Van Rossum. And if you couldn't tell by our names, we are a mother-daughter duo talking about activism through a generational lens. Um, so, And Ma- just to highlight that the shared last name is not because it came from a man. <laughs> For those who have heard previous episodes, that's this my episode. last name. That's my last name, always been my last name, and Annika decided to take on that last name. Just wanted to share, didn't want people to presume that we're carrying some other man's name, some man that I married. <laughs> Little feminism there, sorry. <laughs> just... So now everyone's building your brain. All right, so that wasn't our fact check. Mom, do you have a fact check for us this week? I do have a fact check. Now, I'm not sure if we already checked this fact, but this is a fact that's worthy of rechecking, even if we already checked it. So many, many people think that if they have a lawn, that they have an environmentally friendly landscape in their front yard or their backyard. And the fact check is that is not true. Lawns are actually very, very bad environmentally. They don't provide any habitat, first off, right? They're just a monoculture that takes up space and doesn't give food or habitat or any sort of nurturing to the natural environment. Um, Second off, they become a a recipient of a lot of stuff that people like to put on them. Things like um, herbicides and fertilizer, things that when it then rains, wash off the landscape and get washed into our local waterways causing pollution. And actually when it comes to rainfall runoff, stormwater runoff, depending on how steeped into environmental issues you are. But think about it this way, right? When it rains, um, the rain hits the landscape. And if you are in a forest, that rain soaks into the ground. If that rain falls onto your lawn, it's almost the same as hitting a pavement. And it does not actually soak into the ecosystem, but it actually runs off down into the street, which puts it into the storm drain, or perhaps via a detention basin first, but ultimately gets piped into the local stream that then dumps it on your downstream neighbor, carrying all of that pollution, but also increasing the volume of water that's getting directly dumped into a local stream, a volume of water that naturally would have been soaked into the soil. What does that mean? That means more flooding, more flood damages, more erosion, more damage for the stream and for your downstream neighbors. So lawns are actually not good. What you should do is figure out what part of your lawn in your front yard, your backyard or your side yard, do you actually use for something other than just mowing, maybe for sunbathing, maybe or for your kids to play and keep that portion of your property lawn. And then re, um, restore the rest of that landscape with native trees and shrubs and flowering plants, you'll not only um, reduce the amount of runoff, rainfall runoff, stormwater runoff that would come off of your lawnscape, and you're actually instead soaking that water into the soil, which will restore the aquifer, which is good for drinking water supplies and also for cleansing pollution, but you will be creating great food and habitat for local wildlife, wildlife who desperately need it, Um, especially in these times of 
fast urbanizing and suburbanizing of our areas, which also mm -hmm. removes food and habitat for them. But you'll also be creating a beautiful scenery for yourself. You'll be giving yourself a little bit of a buffer between your neighbors and the road and other noise making spaces. So you'll be making it a little bit more peaceful in your home. And actually, you'll be increasing the market value of your home. Um, it is demonstrated time and time again that the fair market value of property that's um, is nearby or has on it healthy natural landscapes that the, the market value actually can go up by six to 15%, if not more. So it's good all the way around, ecologically, economically, for your health, for your safety, for your sanity, for beauty, um, and for Mother Earth who needs our loving care. Fact check. Fact check, good. Oh my gosh, that was good. Yeah, I don't think people think about that enough. I feel like Everyone's like a nice manicured lawn with one or two tasteful trees or shrubs, which I always think is like actually kind of gross and kind of boring. Like I really like our yard with our native plants everywhere and how it's just like a little pathway to walk through. And I remember even as a kid, Oma just had that little bit of grass out front where I would like sit and, you know, it was just a nice little bit. And then her, the whole rest of her yard was this beautiful forest with little trails that I would just like run through. And I always thought that was so much more beautiful than just like a plain lawn you know if you want to be constantly playing big sports like go to your go to your local park and do that I don't know like big big yeah. grass and actually having access to natural landscapes large and small is also really important for the development of children now that you bring it up um, first off there's a lot of research to show that Simply kids being able to look out of a classroom window and see a tree versus just seeing buildings in cement actually increases their capacity to learn. Um, there's also a lot of uh, scientific research that shows how um, being able to play in and around nature, climb trees, or do it, it, it teaches children self-assurance. It actually also helps strengthen their body. It helps them learn balance. I mean, it just, in so many ways, it nurtures every aspect of their being. There's a really, really great book, Last Child in the Woods, that I really encourage people to read. It's really inspiring and interesting and really proves the point that nature is critically important for every aspect of our lives, particularly children who increasingly are having less and less and less natural spaces and places to play. And if you can make your backyard or your front yard or your side yard or all, th all three of them a natural space and place for your kids to play and neighbor's kids to play, grandkids to play, the, the kids of, of neighbors, if you don't have your own kids to play. I mean, you are really giving back in so many ways to the quality of, of the lives of the children in your community, again, as well as to yourself and to nature. So it's just a really wonderful thing to do. And it's a wonderful way to pass the time when you're out there gardening in the good weather. So I love that. So speaking of getting people outside, I'm super excited to introduce this week's guests. So we have Lukey and Kubi, who are two twins, and they run this whole operation adventure thing. It's hard to explain. It's just really cool, but it's called Warn the West. Uh, so Lukey and Kubi are out in Utah right now, and they do paragliding. And they're two twins, and they do some amazing artwork. And they're going to come on and talk to us actually about how climate change has affected their sport and what they've been seeing um, in their time out there. And it's very cool, I'm very excited. Lukey and I actually went to college together and it's been really interesting to see how he went from um, 
studying in a classroom to now really just kind of being out in the world. And I think it shows too that um, no matter where you start with your education or your life path, you can always change. And it seems like he and Kubi are doing really great things. Um, so I'm going to bring them on now. So we're gonna But just before you do, I just really, really want to say I'm really excited to, to meet them because you've talked about their evolution, um, both in terms of their sport as people, but also in terms of their environmental awareness. So I think it's really exciting to um, have this new lens through which we can think about and talk about the power of the environment. And I think it really proves the point that environmental degradation harms all of us or impacts all of us. Um, and it also proves the point that you and I have said so many times, it doesn't care what your interest is, what your education is, or what brings you to the table. We all have something to contribute to environmental protection. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they take their interest and their talent in this sport and bring it to environmental protection. So I just wanted to say that, I'm sure I'll say it no. again when they're on, but yeah. I wanted to say that to you, Annika, because I thought that this, that this set of guests was really exciting and really interesting and I really love it. So kudos yeah. to you for thinking of it. I'm so excited. And I think too, you know, I'll probably say it again when they get on, but I think this is a realm of environmental degradation and the effects of climate change that nobody really thinks about. Like you wouldn't even think about it. So I think they're going to bring a perspective that not many people are aware of or would get, get a chance to hear about. So with that... Hey guys. Hello. Hi. Hey. So I just gave a little primer on what you guys are up to. Um, but so, you know me, I'm Annika and this is of course my mom, Maya, but do you guys want to give us a little intro about who you are and what you're doing? Absolutely. So we're Lukey and Kubi Jackson and uh, we're 24 years old and we kind of spend our time, you know, focusing on art, uh, flying paragliders as pilots and you know, just kind of living these nomadic 21st century lifestyles these days. We live in a, a 1984 trailer and currently we're based out of Salt Lake City, but we really like to move around the whole American West and just visit different flying sites and, you know, um, have a ball, you know, yeah. have, have a good time and, you know, live a life we enjoy living. So, so I want to encourage people to take a look at the video because you guys have a really beautiful landscape which is an art landscape behind you and i want to encourage people to again get online and and look at this but can you tell us a little bit about what this beautiful art is that's behind you so this is actually a really interesting piece um and it's kind of from a, a distant time in our life because it was when we still <laughs> lived you know right outside of boston massachusetts and you know we kind of had these more normal lifestyles and uh, we painted this actually as a table so it was once our living room table <laughs> Um, and as you can see, there's just a beautiful mountain landscape. And then kind of behind me, we have this beautiful uh, Utah desert. And, and at the time, it, you know, we were just trying to paint this beautiful imaginary landscape. And now looking back at it, it pretty much looks exactly yeah, like Utah. We, 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 we painted Utah before we even knew that, you know, we would kind of be living out here. So it's a good piece and it's nice and big. And uh, we did it in oil paint. So um, I, I've always loved watching Bob Ross and his videos and um, all these techniques I kind of got straight from him. And um, if you've never watched The Joy of Painting by Bob Ross, I would highly recommend it. Even if you don't have a painting background, um, the man is really a, a magician with, with, the, with the paintbrush. So that's a little background about the piece. <laughs> And you guys also, your trailer that you guys live in, you guys painted that yourself too. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. So um, your Instagram, right, is Warren the West. Warren dot the 
west okay there we Warn go the west everyone should go look at your trailer i think when you guys first posted it i was like this is the coolest thing ever when you guys redid that it was it was really amazing because when we got it it was an old hunting cabin and you know it's from the 80s it was really old and decrepit and we bought it for really cheap and uh, we kind of turned it into the largest art project we've yeah. ever done and you know um we came from um from Boston and living inside. So we didn't have a lot of these handyman or, you know, basic uh, homeowner and, skills. And we made so many mistakes. <laughs> like, like, I mean, we, we still make mistakes on a daily basis, but, you know, growing up in the suburbs, you know, it doesn't really prepare you for um, what's super common out here, which is people kind of living in their trailers, their vans, their vehicles. Um, and, and ever since COVID kind of happened too, it's kind of gained a really big spotlight and it's become even more socially acceptable. You know, lots of people now have these remote jobs and they've started traveling all around or living in different spaces. And, you know, so we're friends with a variety of people, you know, some with really good jobs and careers who still, you know, still make it work living in their setups and that's the way they prefer it or, you know, the dirt poor, like, you know, no, makes no money, but, you know, loves life and loves being outside and, you know, going on new adventures. And so really the trailer enabled us to like enter this sort of lifestyle and we've been living it for two years and it's absolutely uh, changed our lives yeah. for the better. I, w- I would recommend it if anyone's ever thought about it. And, you know, sometimes people start out as weekend warriors and, you know, they build their vehicle and, you know, they just use it on the weekends and, you know, that's fantastic. But some people will, will, will start that and then they'll be like, oh, no, like <laughs> I got to live in this thing full time. And then that leads to people not even being comfortable living in full size houses anymore. You know, people kind of lose that, you know, they get rid of a lot of their stuff and they get, um, you know, more grounded. And if you've been living inside for a really long time, you just accumulate stuff naturally, even yeah. if you don't want to, you can't help it. So um, people enjoy downsizing. People yeah. enjoy building their own homes from scratch, whether it's a a school bus or a sprinter van or a trailer it's um gives a lot of people a lot of freedom and a lot of power to really control their own small uh tiny home yeah definitely an empowering experience but lots of toil other things involved in it as well but all part of the good you know general (laughs) learning experience and you know these aren't things that you kind of learn in college or you know even learn from your parents you know so it's been a new a new area for us and uh, we've been loving it. <laughs> well, so what I was just saying to my mom actually was so Lukey, obviously you and I went to college together and how I don't think I ever had conversations with you. You were environmental science major, yeah, right? Environmental science. And I could have like, you know, I always knew like you were very adventurous, but I could never have pictured like that this is where you would have ended up. And <laughs> obviously I got to talk to Kubi a little bit whenever he came to visit. But so I think people would be really interested to know like for both of you, what was the transition and like what kind of inspired the move from, I feel like the educational track that has been like pushed so hard on our generation to like get mm-hmm. a degree and get a job in that. And then to just like radically do this. So like what, what happened guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So from the beginning, so we are first generation Americans and our, um, our parents came here. They escaped from a communist Czechoslovakia in the late 80s, 80s early 90s. And they ended up coming to getting asylum and coming to the United States and um it's a wild story we we could we could have a whole podcast about their stories but, but they were incredibly hardworking. you know like the classic American dream hardworking immigrants and they would work three jobs each or whatever really did whatever they could um to allow us to have a better life and um they really taught us from the beginning that even with even when the odds are stacked against you even when you don't have anything that you know with hard work and determination um you can actually accomplish 
not only like what you want, but your wildest dreams, yeah. you know, something that you would never think um, come true. You know? But the expectation, there was no, it was always college. There was, <laughs> there was no other options. It was like, you guys are going to get A's, maybe a, one or two B's is no. acceptable, but like you're going to college, you know, you're going to get you scholarships. Come home from school, homework right away, right? Like, <laughs> that's, one of, that's one of the best traits that we kind of have is that we like to get our work done like right as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they really instilled this hard work ethic in us and, um, you know, we uh, grew up outside of Boston where they have really good public schools. So we went to a really great public school. And then um, we ended up parting ways and going to different colleges. Um, I ended up majoring in uh, biology and Luki ended up doing um, um, environmental science. And so we actually really enjoyed these careers and we were always super interested by, in, in science. And, you know, we got our degrees and we ended up within a few months that we actually had like really good jobs and good placement in like the Boston biotech scene. And if you guys don't know, Boston, I think, has the largest biotech, the largest number of science companies, you know, in this one small mm-hmm. area. Um, oh, wow. So I was employed as a research scientist, and I was always really fascinated about neuroscience. So um, I was, my few jobs that I had were all uh, specialized on rare neurodegenerative diseases, which was, I mean, insanely <laughs> wow. interesting, very niche, um, all these orphan diseases that normally, you know, wouldn't get any attention or funding, but they were designated as, you know, they affect this small amount of population. So they would get extra funding. So there was these big companies and, you know, they're all looking at um, these different rare uh, diseases. And I was, you know, a scientist, I would do the experiments, the nitty and gritty on the animal tissues and brains. And um, I mean, it was a- Okay, we're gonna stop going down that path. (laughs) We're gonna we we really like you, Kumi. We don't want to talk about animal testing. <laughs> and so, and I um I was like an environmental science major, and so what career path I went down was kind of environmental health and safety. So I was working in these same labs that Kubi was a scientist in, um, and I was kind of responsible for like the the safety and the permitting part of how um, these massive labs operate. Um, and we both had the you know the experience of being you know working for these you know billion dollar companies and. They would have, you know, seven buildings in, you know, this compound. They would have 15 stories of just labs on labs on labs. And it was, in, it was incredible to see what, um, what the largest biotech companies are up to. And they have a lot of machines and they have a lot of scientists. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, and they need lots of people to kind of help with the safety. And, you know, when scientists are using chemicals, you know, they're just doing their experiment. They're following procedures. And rarely ever do they actually think about their own safety. And so there's this whole group of people who have now a career in uh, assisting, you know, labs and scientists operate legally, um, safely and effectively. And so even though we had different majors, they were both science related, we actually ended up working very closely together, um, which was, you know, kind of funny. Like coworkers who would recognize me who worked with Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then what, you saw an ad for paragliding one day and you're like, let's just go do it. What's the break free point? Yeah, the, the break free point was that three days after we graduated, we went to Utah and we attended a paragliding nice school, school and um, it changed our lives. So yeah. we lived out here in Utah in tents and we met all these wonderful people who were all entrepreneurs and they made it work their own way. Yeah. You know, um, And we had researched, you know, a few different air sports, you know, we didn't know exactly what we wanted to get it into. And for many people, air sports is kind of this this big taboo subject where it's all grouped in together. No one really knows anything about it. And, you know, everyone knows it's dangerous. And most of those things are true, but they don't deserve to be all grouped in together. So, you know, we researched skydiving, hang gliding, uh, paragliding, 
um, and you know these different variations of the sport. And uh, we came to the conclusion that paragliding um, was going to be the one for us. And so we- It's the safest, it's the slowest moving it, aircraft, the, just move 20 miles an hour. The slowest moving aircraft on <laughs> but Earth. But isn't it like, as somebody who's afraid of heights, yeah. <laughs> right? Like how on earth, I, I don't know. I don't know if the right word is, did you make that first jump or whatever it is off the edge of the cliff Yo. to paraglide? Because that would just be horrifyingly terrifying for me. Like so, how on earth did you do that? I, I won't lie on the first day they got you, they got you in the air by yourself, yeah. but you know, it's oh a small hill. It's a gentle hill, you know, nothing too big. And you know, the first few days, you know, you're taking off, you know, from 10, 15 feet from the bottom. So you may take off, but you're going to be in the air for one to two seconds. You know, you're going to be five feet off the ground. Um, and so that's kind of like the breaking, you know, that's the point that kind of gets you into it. And, you know, you're, you're so close to the ground, you're not really afraid of those heights. And actually what's, what's safer in paragliding is when you get kind of further away from the ground. And so lots of pilots like to fly really high up in the air. Um, and actually when you're flying closer to terrain and to the ground is actually where you experience danger. So it's actually safer to be up <laughs> and, you know, you kind of have this, you, the trust builds in your skills and in the equipment. And so for, for pretty much all air sports, it's super important that you attend a school and, you know, not that you teach go on yourself, Wikipedia, yeah. teach yourself, you know, like, oh, my buddy's going to teach me like that's, that's not, <laughs> not okay. And yeah. people do it and they have successful careers doing it that way too. But um, it introduces a level of risk that pretty much your average person should not be um, involved in. So if so we had this amazing experience out in Utah right after we graduated. Uh, we were out here a month and then we ended up coming back to Boston and settling down. Uh, we moved into an apartment in the city and we both got these amazing jobs and we just started um, plugging away, working hard and there were things we were interested in. So it was great. And then, you know, we're doing it for a few months, some more, and then um, COVID ended up, you know, starting to creep in and things kind of started changing yeah. a lot in the workforce and uh, different things like that. And we were cool to see those changes that, you know, our science biotech companies actually implemented after that. Mm -hmm. And for both of them, they pretty much halted everything that they were working on. And they were like, you know what, like we have to focus all of our time, attention, um, either it was working on the vaccine or working on the antibody tests or working, you know, on the hundreds of other um, kind of subsects. And it, it ended up just feeling a little dis disingenuous because all these companies were now, you know, focused on this one thing. Obviously, it's an enormous problem, but they were doing it more for the publicity, um, mm. for the money. Yeah, I, I think definitely not for the, for the right reasons, because these weren't companies that made vaccines, right? They did a lot of stuff, but they weren't specialized in that. So um, it kind of turned us off from the whole thing. Uh, we ended yeah. up being, uh, we were both classified as essential workers. So while everyone got to stay home, we were still, you know, taking yeah. the public transportation yeah, to work Boston, in labs, yeah. um, you know, either doing experiments or facilitating these experiments. And it kind of gave us a different perspective on it because yeah, I mean, we were just, you know, as I'm sure lots of people have had personal stories and have been involved with it, you know, we kind of had this unique little view into it. And um, we decided that, you know, we had learned to fly earlier last summer. It had been about a year and we were like, you know what, like, this isn't going to do it for us. <laughs> and, you but know, we, can I just ask a quick question? So when Kubi, when you were describing your areas of interest, you were talking about all those, um, as you said, those those weird illnesses that don't usually get researched. And when you were saying that, I was exactly thinking, oh, I bet he was really interested when COVID came because yeah. isn't that that kind of illness? So it's kind of, kind of interesting that 
Maybe yes, but maybe no. Under normal circumstances, probably yes. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been really good, but just, um, you know, just the way that your everyone's lives were kind of altered as a result of it and yeah. just the, the precautions that were now normal that you needed to take to protect yourself and to protect other people. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they got a little bit extreme in the workplace, like uh, one person from each department was only allowed to be there at a time. So um, it was kind of, we had gotten new jobs and I hadn't been trained and I was the only one allowed from my department in the lab. And I was like, this is, I was like, this is not going to work. Like <laughs> I need, you know, I need a little bit more than this to, to do this really complicated and, and serious job. So we ended up just kind of falling out of love with it. And yeah, but you know, we grew up in the suburbs and on the East coast and, you know, we kind of, as many people do living on the East coast, you have this dream of the mountains and, you know, being a skier and a climber and, you know, you know, it, it, this, I, I mean, I can't describe the feeling, but I think many people through the generations have felt this feeling of wanting to go out and explore, um, you know, a new area and these mounds and this beautiful thing. And so we kind of always had that in our mind. And then three days after we graduated, you know, we go to Utah and we learn to fly and, uh, we kind of see it with our own eyes. And, you know, then we return back to the East Coast for one year. Um, and we just realized that, you know, we had seen how other people were making it work. And, you know, every everyone that's kind of in our generation, you know, we were told it was college. And college, you know, it works for a lot of people. And it, it worked for us. And we would have had fruitful careers in the sciences. But, um, you know, our parents had always encouraged us that we could always, you know, we could be whoever we wanted. We could overcome, you know, whatever was against us. And, you know, once we got that taste of flying, um, it was just, it really empowered us. Yeah, you know, it, it really if you can us. fly like a bird and I mean, it's a incredible feeling. Then we realized that we could probably pursue some of our other dreams and really, um, you know, put, put in that hard work from our parents and see if we can, yeah. uh, could make something of ourselves. And so we quit our jobs. We're like, no more It's COVID. And we're like, listen, like it, it's like, we're, we're ready to, you know, open up a new chapter in our lives. And so we moved to Utah and when, you know, we packed up some cars and, you know, moved is a loose term. We were living in tents for a few months and, you know, we were kind of going through this honeymoon period, you know, we made this big change in our life. And uh, we were honestly planning of, you know, getting biotech careers here in Salt Lake city. And, you know, there's a pretty good, you know, biotech industry here. Um, and after a few months, um, you know, we were kind of at this crossroad of, you know, do we, do we, you know, get real and, you know, settle back down into these careers that we went to college for. Um, and we had just been so empowered by everything and people had been so supportive and encouraging of us. We were like, you know what, let's try something else. And then we we're like, well, if we're going to go and, you know, make our own, forge our own path, then it might as well be like the best, funnest, you know, like, like, you know, the best case scenario, like the dream. So yeah. we decided to try to literally, you know, do what we always wanted to do um, and and that's turned into us pretty much two things making art we absolutely love making art and what we love even more is now that we can kind of turn it into a business and you know instead of just drawing for fun and you know making art for free you know people start to actually see value in you know the, the stuff that you create and then by them being able you know to pay you for your time and for your art you know that enables us to make more art and to get better at it mainly Very and cool. it's um, a really a really great experience but ultimately yeah it's uh it's exactly what we wanted to do so it was um kind of a blessing when no jobs no companies here <laughs> gave us the time of oh, day yeah. despite us being very qualified so yeah. that um, made us even more a little resentful towards the whole thing <laughs> well so i want so i want everyone to hear about your art and like how everyone can get all of that but before that before we get to that we were talking earlier about 
you know, how much you guys are enjoying paragliding and, I've, and, you know, my mom and I are environmental activists and you guys have a passion for the environment. But so how has, what has it been like, you know, we're in code red for humanity for climate. And you guys said that you'd notice some differences um, in your sport. You have a mentor who you've been talking to about how climate change has really had an effect on paragliding. And I was just saying how I'm so excited to have you guys on. Cause I feel like it's something people don't think about, like, that even, it even pilots, it. even pilots don't really think about it. And yeah. so um, we were just lucky to, you know, meet, meet a crazy person. And um, he kind of passed down his knowledge to us. And um, we'll, we'll just kind of get into a, a brief story around it. And then we'll kind of <laughs> meander to the facts of the situation. <laughs> and so one of the things we do, we live in a trailer is that we love traveling around and we travel around different parts of the country, specifically to new uh, paragliding and flying sites. Um, and at those flying sites, you know, we, you know, you fly a new site, you know, every day is different, every site's different. And so by flying different sites, being exposed to new situations, um, you actually learn a lot. And then, um, you know, we're members of the community. So, and, you know, we create art and we do things related to uh, our art relating to paragliding. So by meeting new people and making new connections, it's, um, it's super powerful and beneficial for us. And so we were on a trip and uh, we were heading up north and we ended up in um, Idaho and we had never been to Idaho before. It was our first time in the state um, and we had, had heard of this beautiful place um, in Arco, Arco, Idaho. And it's about a town of a thousand <laughs> people. And, you know, you know, we're from the city, but we love being out in like the middle of nowhere. You know, it, it's a it's a really special place. And so we end up going to this town called Arco, Idaho. It's like really small. Not a lot of people know about it. And when we're there, we just start to figure out things about this place. Like this town was the first town in the whole world to be powered by a nuclear energy yeah. in 1955. Um, it, it was our code. They used to call it atomic city. So it was like, oh wow, it, uh, a, they powered a light bulb for a few yeah. hours and they got that designation. And so even today, when you drive, you know, through the town, they have all these signs saying, you know, it was the first nuclear power town. And so it was like, you know, a gift to the world, you know, it showed the whole world what you could do with nuclear power. And then what we found out was about 10, 11 years later, um, in 1961, um, they actually had a enormous uh, nuclear meltdown, which was totally covered up. It's actually the only uh, U.S.'s like only uh, nuclear related, nuclear related fatalities fatality. happened in Arco, Idaho. And it was the first one in the world, the first nuclear fatality. And yeah, the oh, only wow. one in the U.S. So like... Um, there's not a lot written about it. You know, like we all had science backgrounds and we had never heard and, of this And, you know, we're, we're like, that's the type of stuff we're interested in researching. And we had never heard of this case before. And we were in this town. So we started doing more digging. Um, and turns out there's this crazy backstory. To None of the locals will talk to yeah. you about it. Everyone downplays it. But there was, um, a, you know, there's three people working at this nuclear power plant. And unfortunately, they weren't the best yeah. or the brightest of that Idaho had to offer. And they had a lot of uh, arguments with each other. Um, um, employees were being unfaithful with each other's wives. And it like reached a boiling point. And supposedly Only in Idaho. <laughs> the story is that one day, you know, one of, one of these employees came in and his, was really upset. And then his, you know, his wife came in and said that all this had been going down and that he went to the nuclear core and he actually pulled out one of the reactor rods. And it caused an explosion and, that killed all of them. Everyone died. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what just, nuclear that, power will do to you. Yeah. <laughs> Make you crazy. And, you know, like for this to be the first power plant, you know, on earth to, you know, to be powering electricity and stuff like that, you know, it was this like shining new gem of innovation. And somehow behind the scenes, there was like total incompetence going down. And 
you know, they don't know exactly what happened that final day, but they know that the conduct of their employees and it wasn't very good. You know, they were mm-hmm. up to things that they should have not been up to. And um, ultimately it, you know, it lasted less than 10 years and it went from a shining example to a, uh, another <laughs> example of the, the dangers of nuclear and how you shouldn't run anything. So that was a little background in yeah. Arco, Idaho, really a beautiful place, but we went there, t- <laughs> we went there to paraglide. Um, they have the lost river range there, which is beautiful. It has, 13 i believe out of 15 uh, idaho's tallest peaks so it, it's a it's just a gorgeous wow. mountain range and um, there we met um this wonderful person's name is john kangas shout out to kangas he's a great shout guy um, he'd been a weatherman and he'd really been watching the weather there for i think like a little bit over 20 years yeah. and he's been a, an aviator his whole life you know he's flown like every sort of plane you can imagine from like the commercial planes with people to you know ultralight sailplanes and hang gliders and even two years ago at, at the ripe age of, you know, in his sixties, he decided to pick up paragliding the sport that we currently have. And so, um, and he had just been, you know, he, he'd loved flying and he'd loved the air. And so he had been watching it and um, King mountain, this one mountain in this range um, has a long history of um, hang gliding flying. Um, and so they used to have competitions there, you know, 20, 30 years ago, or, I mean, even more recently than that, but um, it had been this like, uh, it wasn't a hidden gem, but it was this widely known, amazing flying site. And, and then it kind of faded into obscurity. Yeah. On, on But first he had made a bet and he said, I'm going to buy a piece of land here. And he opened up his own airfield and all he wants to do is just promote flying and bring as many people to the site. And he thought that King Mountain was like the best uh, big mountain uh, flying site in America. And he did that through all of his weather models and how long he had been observing it for. So, you know, he buys a piece of land there. Um, and now 20 years later, um, the, the weather has, the weather has drastically changed. changed since, you know, since it's glory days. So he was able to give us some really good insights. And we were there for about a month, um, you know, just living on his property, flying around, um, and then helping him actually With farm work, helping and, him yeah. construct the airfield. <laughs> you know, it, it was this, you know, this great positive experience. And uh, one but, of the things that we noticed and one of the main points that he addressed of how. Uh, paragliding and this big mountain flying is being affected by uh, climate change is through forest fires. And so wow. I'm sure people are, people are pretty hip to, to, you know, people kind of understand, maybe not people don't understand, but I guess people have been exposed to hearing about fires more and more recently. I'm sure in these last five, 10 you years, know, every year is the worst fire season of the year. Yeah. And then you have that every year for yeah. a few and years. Then and then living out West for the last two years, we, we've actually been able to experience the smoke during the summers for these last two summers. And it's, the fires from California or from Idaho or, you know, the Northwest. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, yeah, it's gross. It's, it's gross. scary. It's, it's well, really there was like over, I think it was this last fall, there was that huge fire out in California um, and I was still in Vermont and the sky was like that weird foggy red and all that. And it was all the smoke from all yeah. the way across the country, all the way in Vermont. And that was like a horrifying experience. I just like had never experienced that. Yeah. Well, if you live out West here, unfortunately <laughs> it's become a reality and it's like every a, summer now, a consistent thing. And, you know, Utah doesn't even really, Utah burns sometimes, but the neighboring States, especially California, like, you know, we, we get, I mean, we get everyone's smoke. We get, we get our own smoke too from Utah, but, um, and so on top of the smoke being super unhealthy, you know, you're breathing in these particulates, the forests are burning. Um, it actually impacts uh, the conditions of flying. And so 
Uh, just to give a little background, so when you fly at King Mountain, the Lost River Range, uh, you're doing a certain type of flying, and it's called cross-country flying. And the goal of cross-country flying is that you take off, and you know, instead of just flying in one area and landing, your goal is to take off, and it's to actually fly across a mountain range. As far as you possibly and, can. And you're going for distance. And so you find these rising columns of warm air called thermals, and they just, you, you fly in a circle and it just takes you up and up and up and then it ends and then you fly along the range and you find the next one. And it's this like amazing game of kind of chess or monopoly or whatever you <laughs> want to call it, like with the earth, because you know, the you can't, you can't see the air. You, so. the, the air is like <laughs> wow, invisible, yeah. you know, and we have some, you know, we have some tools that kind of give us these helpful beeps to indicate if we're in, in rising air or sinking air. Um, and it's just, it, it's one of the, people strive, you know, when they learn to paraglide, they're like, you know what, once I get all my skills in check, like, this is the area I want to focus on. And people these days fly 100, 200 miles, people 300 miles, people will be in the air for nine to 10 hours, (laughs) flying these unbelievable distances, and they have oxygen they're at 18,000 feet feet and like you know they're going for it like you know they're they're barely humans at that point and so (laughs) king mound and the lost river range is really famous for um, these sorts of conditions and so pilots traveled there specifically so they could fly cross country but with all the smoke recently so um, i guess normally the sun gives out like a thousand watts per square meter to the earth something like that Um, and when you have this dense smoke cover it can reduce that um, 1,000 watts per square meter to, let's say, 500 or maybe even 300, 200. And yeah. you just have uh, much less sunlight coming down. And which- So it means in the mornings, too, like it takes longer for the earth to heat up. So, you know, mm. pilots are used to flying at certain specific times that enable them to seize the conditions of the day. And when there's smoke and stuff, you kind of have to delay your takeoff by, you know, a few hours. And so then you're kind of flying later in the day, you have less time to actually, you know, fly a big distance. The thermals are less strong, you know, the visibility is decreased. You're just, you're like, you can go up 10,000 feet and the smoke is still there. Yeah, it, you can't escape it. It's, and then you look down below and like, you can't even see the valley that you took off from. Like it's, it's wow. all smoke. Um, and then, you know, one of, one of the beauties of flying these ultralight aircraft is at sunset, there's this like magical phenomenon that happens. And it's people refer to it as a glass off. And it's kind of like, you know, all the energy that's been building up throughout the day, all the heat stored in the ground releases and it's calm and everything's and lifty, lifty and, and gentle. Perfect. And, yeah. you know, people talk about it as like this, you know, this, this beautiful unicorn and, you know, only some have experienced <laughs> it, but when there's smoke out, um, once that sun gets lower and lower on the horizon, um, it, uh, I guess the smoke starts dissipating that energy quickly. And so mm-hmm. and instead of having a casual, beautiful afternoon glass off, um, it just shuts off instantly. And, you know, we're flying this range, you know, we're flying and, you know, we're looking at the time and, you know, we're like, you know, it's, it's, it's going to get, you know, the sun's going to set, you know, we have to land, but you know, you don't even have to make that decision because the second that sun goes past the horizon, the wind start blowing down the hill. The wind start blowing the down the hill. Yeah. The thermals kick off, and you're just like deposited, you know, onto the ground. Oh wow! And so you uh, go, mom. <laughs> no, I just had a question. So, um, a, a little bit of an aside, but you were just talking about, you know, talking about looking down and seeing the landscape. So, on those positive days when you don't have the smoke and you can actually see it. I'm just wondering what that experience is like to be out there free and in the air, you know, not in a plane tube, but free and in the air to actually look down on those, on the beauty of nature 
And, and how does that compare to if you end up in a spot where you look down and you see a whole bunch of shitty houses? Yeah. Maybe you don't go to those places. So just like wondering what that whole experience is like. Yep. So like from um, legally, we can go up to 18,000 feet. So when you're cruising at 18,000 feet, you know, even the tallest mountains that, you know, go to 10, 11, are 12 or tiny little things below you. And, and it's it's insane because, you know, from the ground, obviously you can, you can never have that perspective and you see them more as ranges and as like, you know, big movements of rock and yeah. stone, as opposed to these individual towering things. And um, it's really incredible. It's, it's hard to describe. You're, you're right though. It is one of the most amazing parts of the sport and, you know, we're up there and, you know, our paragliders are made of like thin plastic. We're it's talking like plastic bag. It's a wing, you know, it's, it's, it's similar to a plane wing, just it's not sturdy. It's made of plastic and, you know, you have to physically inflate it. And so, and then you're, you're kind of sitting in this harness that's just like some cloth. And so you, you have almost nothing, you know, you have a helmet on. So, you know, you have this sort of experience, especially as you get higher and higher, some people actually get kind of freaked out because they see that they're so far above the ground. They, you know, you can, you know, besides being a little oxygen deprived, um, which <laughs> is a serious thing for, you know, pilots who fly long distances. Um, it, it, I mean, it's just an, an incredible feeling, but it's way cold up there too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you'll be like, wow, this is amazing. And then, you know, depending on the day, like it can be well, well below freezing. And, you know, of course all the wind chill and stuff. And um, sometimes it can be scary getting that high because um, um, as you grow in elevation and you get higher and higher, these thermals, they start off from these small little points at the ground because they originate from the earth. And then they expand into these ginormous funnels. So, into clouds. Into clouds. That's where the thermals end. So towards the tops of these thermals, you can be in some very strong lift. And when in, in you might not even want to be going up anymore. And so it can be a real challenge. You know, we have these huge gliders. Uh, they're meant to go up. And sometimes when you're trying to go down, it can be a little challenging, especially when you're at 18,000 feet, like you're freezing cold, like you're going up, up and up, you know, your varios beeping, beep, 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 beep. And you're like, I need to get out of here. Like, I'm, I'm not meant to be here right now. Like, it's way too high. And, um, and, you know, then you get lower and you land and you have this whole experience. And, yeah, and then one day you go out and you're flying and you kind of see all this smoke. Um, and you're like, wow, like, you know what? Like, that really, you know, sh that really shouldn't be there. And you can just see it kind of poisoning the, you know, I mean, every animal and plant. Like, I'm sure forest fire smoke is not really good for any living creature. Um, and so it kind of, yeah, it gives you a sense of appreciation for, you know, the earth, for the sky, for the air. And when you, you know, when you fly over an area that's been totally burnt out, or as, as you mentioned, when you fly over a city, you know, you get your whole different set of stimuluses and visuals. Um, it can be an amazing feeling um, here in Salt Lake City, you know, you, you kind of fly the mountain range and everyone lives right at the base of the mountains, like, you know, a whole city. And, uh, you know, when we're flying here in Utah, like you land at, um, you know, high schools, churches. So like, you know, you're flying to the, to the landing zone and like you're flying over houses, power cables, like whole communities. Oh man. And you'll see them, they'll look up and you know, it's, it's common to see it in Utah, but sometimes these people are like, what is going to happen? Like, where are these people going to land? And you know, then we make a, a beautiful pass and we land, you know, in a nice field. And that's a, a very unique experience too. But, you know, flying in Idaho and the Lost River Range, like there's nothing out there. It's just open land. Wow. big mounds your occasional farm um, and so that obviously leads to a different experience but both very fun and well then, and it seems like oh go ahead Kubi. no <laughs> you got it well I was gonna say it, it seems like I think Luke you too when you're just talking about like 
everything getting poisoned. And I think it makes me so sad to hear because whenever you guys post stuff, I'm so jealous because I'm also like, wow, you're getting this actual like very unique, special moment with nature that not many people get to experience either because of like fear of heights or access to it, whatever. And you guys get this unique experience. And I would feel like almost this moment of like serenity and connection with nature that I think, you know, those of us that stand up for the earth, like really live for. And it makes me so sad to hear that like things like climate change are diminishing that and taking it away. And you guys were saying too, that it seems like younger pilots don't even know, you know, that this is not normal, that it's more the older pilots are kind of seeing what's happening. Yep. So it's, you could say all pilots that no one sees is it's just uh, this, our friend has this very unique perspective, yeah. but another- Because pilots kind of, we look at like the forecast, we see what's going on. And then in the moment we have to deal with all these, um, all this information while we're flying and we're flying cross country. There's, it's as younger, newer pilots into the thing, you know, it's, it's overwhelming at times. There's so much to process. Um, and, and once you practice processing this information over and over again, you know, you can then focus on other things, but it makes you kind of focus in on the moment. And so pilots don't necessarily look at these long-term impacts. You know, they're worried about the weather today, tomorrow, you know, a few days from now, and then in the very moment. So pilots have a more acute awareness of the weather um, and they, and they kind of, they don't realize the big things. And another way that climate change has significantly impacted paragliding is kind of the variance in the jet stream. And our, our buddy Kangas kind of, he went into detail about, um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of just sharing some of the things that he taught us. Mm-hmm. But so you're right, the jet stream is this huge column of air um, that moves from the west to east um, in the northern hemisphere. It's usually above Canada slash the top of North America. And it kind of just transfers heat, you know, from the warmer parts of the globe to the cooler parts. And it's one of these huge global systems. Um, and it, it, it obviously, you know, it's not just the weather, you know, it impacts everything from flooding to drought to temperatures. And wow. so um, recently, you know, they have these, they have all these amazing weather models and weather predictions. So there's sites where um, you can actually look at the jet stream and, you know, you have to look a few miles up and you can just see how this thing is moving. And traditionally it moves more like, um, like a normal, like a rapid or, you know, a fast moving stream. It's kind of straight. Maybe it has a few ups and downs, but not really. But um, recently or in the past years, there's been, um, a change in the jet stream, it's starting to, I guess you could say it's starting to slow down. And as it slows down, it, it starts, starts to like uh, meander around. Like, so. a, you know, like a river where you see pictures in Iceland and it's all spread out or it goes up and down. So what was traditionally kind of um, like this predictable, reliable thing that would control global weather patterns is now sometimes will should be in Canada. It's actually down at the equator. Yeah. And oh, wow. And this has some super profound um, impacts on the weather because this is like really big picture yeah. stuff. And like one example was I think earlier last summer, um, I think places in Northern Canada had temperatures over a hundred degrees and they attributed that to- A heat, heat dome. A heat dome, but it was kind of like the jet stream had directly caused you know a Northern area of Canada to- yeah have temperatures over 100 degrees the jet stream meandered down and then like was left it left this area um, by um, Canada and like Washington that area and they had an insane amount of heat and the issue is that these are uh, blocking movements so because it's moving slower it's no longer going there suddenly you just have this area 
where you know either there's a lot of rain they call it a rain dome or you have this heat dome and it's kind of this like stable air and it just sits there and it doesn't really change so um, they have these crazy temperatures in Canada as a result of um, the jet stream kind of skipping but then again like we even noticed it this week you know we kind of look at these models now because we're we're interested in them and you can check them on a daily basis and you kind of see this this global weather pattern but just this week the jet stream kind of turned down and it went right past Utah and these last few days it's been freezing temperatures like it hasn't been above freezing snowed feet yeah (laughs) it's been like really cold and it's been a kind of a mild winter before this um, and, you know, we just look at that graph and you see that loop going down like this. And, you know, you know that that cold air coming from the north is just coming right through Utah. But so mm-hmm. the, the jet stream with it, it brings uh, fronts. So it brings like, you know, cold fronts, warm fronts. Yeah, low pressure and high pressure systems. Um, and these systems are really important in resetting the weather because um, the flying is the best right, right after a front has moved in and the air is cold it's clear there's no smoke and then the sun heats it up and then you have this big contrast between hot rising air and then the ambient air is much cooler and as the days go on the ambient air gets warmer and warmer and warmer yeah. till there's mm-hmm. not a big difference and the yeah the bigger difference if if your if your thermal is nice and warm and your ambient air is cool then the thermal is going to have more energy more power you're going to be able to go higher it's going to be easier to fly um, and the, uh, the jet stream kind of delivers, it's, it's pretty much like, you know, you can think of a low pressure system just as like a storm moving through. And then right after yeah. the storm, you know, everything is clear, still and cold. And yeah, as Kubi said, the sun comes out, heats it up. Um, and those days right after those low pressure systems are some of the best big mountain cross country flying days because of how friendly the thermals are. And so then with, with the jet stream kind of neandering around and like slowing down and maybe slowing down being in the traditional places where it should be this time of year it leads to less of these uh, fronts and these systems moving through and resetting the weather. So like, yeah. you know, it could blow the smoke out too, which would, it leaves it nice and beautiful um, or just resets the temperature. So um, things can be cold and can start working again. So, you know, um, this is just like, so friggin' fascinating. <laughs> I am just like, I am like learning so much. This is like really, besides the fact being scared to death for the two of you. I say, she and I have to road trip, road trip back from New Mexico. So maybe I'll just steer her out to Utah real quick and you guys can get her out. I would highly recommend it. And if you want to experience the the joy of free flight, um, getting on a tandem with a professional is like the best way to start. You know, someone has their tandem rating and you know, they've, they've, you know, they fly whoever you want around and that's like the best way to just experience it for the first time. From a safe, competent yeah. pilot. <laughs> no, the only way I would experience it is from the ground waving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, Luke and Kubi. Yeah. Great to see you up there. And you know what the interesting thing is you're talking about it being so cold because of the jet stream, yeah. which by the way, super fascinating. I like, I, I, I just learned so much, but, um, <laughs> So my husband and my son were just up in Canada for a a hockey tournament. And um, we had to go out and buy my husband like a super special warm coat because he's never, never cold. But he's like, well, but maybe I better have a warm coat because I'm going to be up in Canada. And I think like the the temperatures were like 60 degrees or whatever. So sounds like the cold came down to you rather than staying up in Canada with them. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) It was really cold here in New Mexico, like the last two days. And then today it's like back up to 50 which everybody here too has been like, this is way too hot, which, you know, (laughs) being from the East coast, I was like, oh, I guess I always thought it would be warmer. Um, 
but it's just like so crazy yeah and I'm just listening to you guys it's like so fascinating to hear um yeah but I also wanted we do want to hear about your art because I've also yeah. as I'm watching like besides the fact that you did that beautiful art behind you yeah. I want to know whether or not you have to be honest whether it was intentional that you're each color coordinated with the portion oh. of the art behind you it's like <laughs> oh, so did you? cool no is that by design you're very observant. No, we actually <laughs> did not color coordinate that at all. But, and it's like so cool. Right. <laughs> it's like you're each in a separate part of Utah and the landscape, and you're like dressed for it in terms of color. And again, anybody who's listening, you got to go, you got to go look for this beautiful art, but also for this, this um, unintentional coordination with the. With the <laughs> yeah. But so. Yeah, tell us about it because Annika says that you bring your art in. It's so cool. I wore my Wild West t shirt, yeah, that, a custom shirt that Luki and Kuvi made for me. Ooh. And they're so wonderful because I gave them colors and they text me and they're like, it came out a really gross brown. You might want something <laughs> different. And I was like, whatever you think colors go, like Green Amendment inspired, just like do it. And so yeah, then they so came cool. out with this awesome shirt and they have a bunch. So yeah, tell everyone about so your art. So we, we like love art and like, you know, all sorts of things but we kind of have beef with the current um i don't know if i want to call it the outdoor industry or like the fashion industry <laughs> but like what you you know you have, you have these amazing people undertaking these like incredible feats you know climbing mounds skiing flying and then you have all these amazing outdoor brands and they're just producing blacks grays blues. dark blues and we're talking like like no color we're talking every snow pants black gloves black and so it even extends to you know these there's so many people who live in vans and you have these amazing eccentric one-of-a-kind people and they live in, in a white van in white vans and everyone the, the current the current thinking is yeah. that you know you live it has to be discreet you want to blend it in, has to be yeah. white and it, none of these people blend in they got solar panels on their roof like, like you know you live in it. everyone knows you live in it but currently there's this current kind of like people aren't really there's a stigma around it. people aren't embracing yeah i mean aren't embracing color and sorts of and stuff like that and so our all of our individual kind of art businesses you know we we do a lot of tie-dye t-shirts um and you know tie-dye is a pretty popular thing so i won't give ourselves credit for that but <laughs> for for helmets you know one of our big cornerstones of our business is that we make we paint helmets for uh, a variety of athletes professional semi-professional <laughs> amateur <then> amateur <laughs> and you know people have you know just these incredible people and they're just wearing a black helmet and um i think just kind of i don't know if covid has made people kind of rethink you know how they express themselves and what they do in their life and one of the goals that we really have is that we want to kind of brighten up all these industries you know i don't want a company to sell just a black and a blue helmet you know i want i want to see colors i want to see designs um, and so you have a website where people go on and they order from you these special like helmets that you uniquely make for them. So or most like of most of our business is actually run through Instagram, which is pretty funny. But we do have a we website. It's uh, Warren the West Co. Co. At nope, sorry, no Warren the West dot Co. <laughs> Warren the West dot We couldn't get dot com, so it's dot Co. <laughs> but our thing really, is, we just started. It's more of the custom thing. You know, we want people to like these colorful colors and we thought that if we were making custom work for individual people that 
the work would be a little bit more and that um, it would be uh, more meaningful to them because, you know, instead of just buying a piece of art, they have a direct role in the creation of it, you know, from choosing colors to images and, you know, on our helmets, you know, we, we love doing all sorts of things, but, you know, you can have anything you want there. You can have logos, you can have cute things, you can have colors and flowers, so, flags, mounds, like anything. And so by doing customs, we've really opened up our art because we've been learning a ton, you know, taking the people's needs and requests and, you know, some, some helmet that I would never make because it looks green and it has a flower on it. For example, now I'm forced to make it. Yeah. I have no choice. And ultimately, <laughs> you know, it's better. It opens up our horizons, making custom work for people. And, um, you know, we give people what they want. So we, we make a lot of tie-dye shirts. Um, we make these custom helmets for athletes. We also, we paint people's adventure vehicles. Yeah, so that's one of our favorite things to do is like, everyone told us, literally everyone told us, they said, don't, don't paint your trailer. It'll draw too much attention. You'll regret it. And, and they, they were, were so wrong. They were so your wrong. Your trailer's so cool. I was gonna say, literally, it, I've seen the pictures of it when you guys first posted. I was like, this is the coolest thing. And I low-key was like, wanted us to get some kind of vehicle or something mom that you two could paint because it's so awesome well, i was gonna say so I what do we do pictures. so so do we do does a person drive their vehicle to you do you hand glide to their vehicle like because we're, yeah we're very flexible yeah. so we'll, we'll come to you we'll come to you you can come to us um just for the trailer and the vehicle painting having that indoor space where you can do that is super important for it and so it kind of depends um, if the person who wants to get their, their thing painted, if they have indoor space that they can access, or if we need to rent it out, or, you know, if we have our own space here in Salt Lake City, but that's one of those things. Um, and, you know, we've done a few projects. We painted our buddy's school bus. You know, he lives in this beautiful converted white school bus. Um, we made it way more beautiful. It, we, we, <laughs> you know, he was like, he was like, guys, he's like, I want some mounds on it, but like, just, you know, just, I think mounds. I saw you got that project. That was really cool. He's like, I just want some blue mounds. And then by the end of it, we had made like a full color spectrum. It was like 15 different colors. Blues, <laughs> greens, purples, reds. And we just displayed this mountain range, like across one side of his bus. Um, and it's, and it's, what kinds of helmets? So, so helmets for which, what, what's the range of sports that you've done helmets for? For skiing, uh, for flying, for skateboarding. Um, we're trying to get into like more uh, biking helmets. There's a huge culture in um, yeah, like mountain biking and then in, in motocross and stuff like that to have, um, you know, these big full face shield helmets. So we'll do any helmet we'll, pretty much. We'll paint yeah. anything. <laughs> And but, do you, you guys know, do too? I feel like I saw you post one time that you kind of did like a big wall project somewhere. Was that like in someone's home or you guys were just doing it for fun? Like it was in our friend's house and, you know, she lived somewhere and uh, we didn't get permission from the landlord, but we just <laughs> decided to put up this beautiful uh, colored mural. And then we used, um, we laid down tape before and we painted over and then you peel the tape and you have these wonderful uh, white lines that really yeah. um, accentuated yeah. all the color. So we'll paint anything. One of our favorite mediums to use though is spray paint. And yeah. so we've, you know, our early days of spray painting, you know, we're buying Home Depot, you know, Walmart, Walmart, yeah. $2 cans. And, you know, we're going out and we're putting up some tags, you know, in some urban areas. And, you know, we weren't very good at it. I mean, borderline vandalism sometimes. <laughs> and so we, and, and we kind of took that because we'd been doing it for a little bit and we decided to um, start, you know, painting vehicles and trailers with spray paint. We paint our helmets with spray paint. Um, and it's kind of this medium that's taken, you know, uh, we never thought that you could do so much with it. And so we're constantly learning how to use it and, you know, just kind of improving our own skill. And 
you know, there's no replacement for just like doing it over and over again. And so, okay. So I'm trying to come up with like some sort of green amendment, something I'm like, or just something for in my house. This sounds we gotta get hockey amazing. helmets. We got to get, well, I was thinking Viv and about I need our helmets. hockey helmets done now. I, I was thinking about that. They forced them to wear black and white. So we might need to get the hockey, the hockey clubs. to like, yeah. just like you to reimagine. Yeah what they could be and and these helmets like they've hooked on like people see them and you know we're at the flight park and there's like four five six people rocking these custom helmets and like like people notice it and then you know they see a few people doing it who they like and respect they're like oh wow like i need to get my helmet done too and so we we've quickly picked up popularity with our our product but we we haven't been able to keep up with demand because um, it just takes a lot of time to actually do this work. And so we're, we're working on pivoting our business to, you know, still be involved with it, but to kind of um, take a different to change the way that we yeah, do to it. change so the way we do it. Another thing we recently started doing, which was our long-term dream was customizing paragliders. So same thing. We've always wanted, you know, these paragliders, these companies just make them a few, you know, just a few colors, like, and half of them are white, half of them are white. <laughs> and, you know, everyone, you know, kind of has a similar looking wing. And so um, it was always our dream to customize paragliders. And in the early days, we were thinking tie-dyeing wings and like, it, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, the, yeah. the process on that's too complicated, but we kind of uh, found this own niche of being able to apply these large um, logos, these large yeah. logos on them. And so traditionally, you know, athletes have their sponsors on their wings, you know, the companies that support them, the brands that support them but we want to take it a step further. And so we want every person to be able to express themselves on their wings. So, you know, you don't just look like your buddy with the same color, you know, you can have your favorite image on it. You can you have a crab, if you, you can have your unicorn, if yeah. you want your business on there, you know, we can just print it out, apply it on your wing and yeah. it, it gives you more individuality. It's also um, safer to be able to individually identify different people in the air when everyone's flying on the same gear so amazing so you guys need to be thinking because then when it's time for utah to get a green amendment we need you guys to be paragliding yeah. out there with a big we're gonna have a green amendment yeah. 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 maybe, we're, maybe we just every time we have a green amendment like like in new mexico during the 30-day session maybe you can hang glide over the roundhouse i know no you wouldn't be able to do it but anyway <laughs> Like, we're going to come up with something because you guys are just, you're amazing. I just want to tell you, you are amazing people. Thank you. you just, you're amazing artists. Like you're amazing visionaries. You're just, this has just been like so fascinating. What is it? Say it again. Show me the logo, Annika. We're in the West. We're so Lukey and Kubi are also really great mom they always post green amendment stuff it warms my heart every time they have the book they well we, so we have to we have to thank you guys because yeah. um this is enough about us but yeah. the stuff that you guys are doing is absolutely incredible and so we're we're super happy I mean we follow you guys we got we got the book we love <laughs> I mean and this whole idea of a green amendment on like the state you know that these states are kind of passing it on their own constitutions and that it doesn't have to go to the federal level. It's just this, like, I mean, it, it's an it's an idea and a concept, Maya. I'm sure that you've created and you've kind of been working through these last. How many years have you been like behind this movement? Can you give us a little background? 
2014. Seven, seven years after an, an amazing victory. And anyway, that's a whole nother story. You're kind. I won't go into it, but it's very kind. And I love that you, that you really get the power and the importance of this pathway for environmental protection. It means the world to me. And <laughs> really, we are going to find a way to weave the two of you into our <laughs> whole national movement, because this is really superb. Just you're superb. They are wonderful. So they really are. You are so, superb people. This is going to be like probably the the you know like one of the best episodes of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so boys, you have to tell people because like you're saying too, because of your artwork and people being able to support you, you're able to do what you do and do this amazing work and also you know be involved in the environment and all that. So how do people find you? How do they support you? How do they? Yeah. Tell the, it, the, the best way to follow us is through our Instagram or Facebook or Facebook too. Or Facebook. Because so, it's like people like me, like Instagram is very painful for me yeah, to yeah. manage. So I, I, like, I can manage Facebook though. I feel like our generation is this weird. Like when we were in middle school, it's like everybody was on Facebook and then like migrated away. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like Instagram, but like some people still are really into Facebook. So it's, <laughs> I was surprised okay, to hear you so, Facebook. So keep going. And, keep and going. so we on our Instagram and Facebook, you know, we post our, our daily content is always centered around art or it's centered around paragliding, being outside. And um, so that's kind of where we showcase all of our stuff. Uh, we do have a website too. Um, it doesn't receive as much traffic as we would like. So maybe we'll work on that. Yeah. Bornthewest.co. And that's for Instagram, Facebook, and the website are all bornthewest.co. Instagram and Facebook are just warnthewest or warn.the.west. They should come up, hopefully. Okay. Right. It just shows my my social media ignorance <laughs> that I presume the dot co goes everywhere. So. And if people want like a custom helmet or anything, do they just like shoot? You just hit DM? us up. Yeah. The best way to get in contact with us is just to hit us up through our, either our website or through Instagram. And if you have questions, if you just want to talk to us, say what's up, like, we, like we respond to everyone. So <laughs> very cool. I just want to know, is your guys like ultimate goal? Are you going to do like the tandem showing other people how to fly or are you just kind of doing like your own thing and just living we your are, best lives in the air well, so like with with you know with everything it's um, a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication over you know not months but we're talking yes. years of full dedication and the too. full commitment is yeah. really what gives you um you know like a fruitful career and we can look at people around us and we're like oh my god you know they're they have amazing positions and they're so young and they're really living their best life and you know how did they get there? You never know how they yeah, got there. And it's yeah. always through some luck, a lot of hard work, and then just consistency yeah. and perseverance. So, and so we're kind of in that area where we're, we're now, we're in the swing of things and we just need to commit now, you know, one, Even more. <laughs> two, three, four, five more years. And, um, you know, just through that dedication commitment. And then, you know, like we make art every single day and like we fly almost every single day too. And so, just by repetition and learning is, you know, the best way to, you know, and we, we love these things, you know, we decided to go all in on war in the West. And like, you know, this isn't like a part-time thing for us. Like, mm -hmm. like we're, we're, we're committed, like in every possible way you could be committed. And people what say that's, no, keep going, keep going. And people say that's great. You know, like how else can you succeed without believing in the cause and believing you're going to achieve all this and having these dreams. And, you know, sometimes you have to stroke your ego a little bit, or, you know, you have to be realistic with yourself too, but um, if you don't believe in yourself, then no one will. Yeah, so. then no one will. So 
we're we're going to take it all the way and you know we're not going to stop um until we until we get there and i'm sure it's the same thing with you guys you know you're, I do, yeah. you're oh yeah you i do have, have to one thing that struck me warren the west where did the name come from <laughs> a lot of people ask us that but there's is it like you're warning the west that we're coming man there's there's multiple interpretations of it um some people interpret it just like that that you know we moved from the east coast to the west we're warning the west and you know we like to be you know <laughs> that's what i thought it was just from like knowing lukey and college was like oh man they're like going out west and they're just gonna like raise hell and they're like so when the, the west are coming let's just yeah. say it's that <laughs> that's a better answer than what okay. the actual one is so it's okay all right well on the next episode when we have you which we were we're gonna definitely have to do that again we're gonna get out of you what the true story about the war in the West comes You'll from. You'll have to tune in next time. Next time. That's right. Oh but and along the way, people have to follow you because you truly are amazing. Amazing, again, artists, environmentalists, and just all around people. Annika, what a grand, grand idea to have Lukey and Kubi. They're great. I only, wish like the Kubi, I only wish Kubi went to college with us because I think <laughs> it would have been great. You missed out. And I saw Kubi only every now and then with Lukey, but that, it was always, it's a good time. And I'm really glad that I got to, you know, meet Lukey. And it really, it's really been amazing to like see this journey you've been on. I mean, I really was like, when I saw the first photo, I was like, oh man, like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. And then <laughs> I was like, they're crazy. But then to see like where you've gone, it's just so cool and i really think it's like i'm jealous i'm like your neighbor right now in new mexico and i've been like every time like man i should go out there and just like see what they're up to but <laughs> you just guys are doing like it's just awesome like it's yeah. just great and i can't say that no enough. Th and, like, thank you guys so much for having us and for the kind uh, the kind words and yeah. support and you know what we've really been blessed with is you know the amount of people who just believe in us and like no, no one tells us you're not going to make it like no no one does that everyone is like oh you guys got it like you you got it like you just gotta you totally know, you just gotta important. do it i get and it from so, that lady over we there. believe in you we totally <laughs> totally believe in you you are you're just you're doing amazing things and you're going to even do more amazing things and i'm just and you so guys we, we believe we believe in you guys a lot and the green amendments and you guys are inspirational the work that you guys well, very yeah. selflessly do yeah. um, for the betterment of everyone yeah. and hopefully that you know we'll see if new mexico uh does something in your guys' favor soon. soon yeah number four we've got pa montana and just recently new york so maybe new mexico and will be number four congratulations <laughs> on new york year. yeah Thanks. thank you thank you yeah, we worked hard well i think from one dynamic duo to another dynamic duo <laughs> it has been great to listen to you guys thank you for coming on everybody should go follow warren the west buy some of their products it's so amazing and i'm just like looking forward to seeing everything you guys are gonna do and yeah we'll definitely have to you know that you're hooked into green amendment art now like she's gonna find something for you to do so you should just start thinking about oh, yeah. it now because it's gonna we've happen already, we've already been thinking about it oh, good. <laughs> good, good, good. we want to definitely team up we want to team up and come up with something that that advances your beautiful art and vision and cause and our beautiful vision and cause which is Absolutely. artistic in its own way artistic for mother earth so exactly well, thanks, guys. Go, you know, go back to all your great stuff. Have fun flights, and we'll talk to you soon for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you guys, guys so much. Thank Bye. you very much for having us. This Have a good great. one. You too. You too.
All right. So that was Lukey and Kubi from Warn the West. Whoa. Wow. That was really off the charts, superb and exciting. I know it's literally been an hour and it doesn't feel like it. I felt like I could have just kept talking to them. I really want to encourage people to go, you know, look at the, at the website. If you, um, you know, one in interesting gift no matter what time of year whether you're talking about holiday season you're talking about birthdays you're talking about you know any any holiday I mean this is like um this is something really special to consider is there anybody I know who needs a helmet or needs a beautiful shirt I mean I was serious I was like I want I want a hockey helmet I think it's cool I was even about to message them being like can I get another shirt because I like love this one so much and I'm like scared that it's getting like I don't want to say when they were talking I was thinking about bicycle helmets right whether you're talking about a child a teenager an adult you know a professional somebody who's who's bike riding professionally amateurish or just likes to get out of doors that's a really unique kind of thing sounds like you'll have to be on a little bit of a list because they are so great that you know they are doing it individually and it takes some time but it is really different what a special something for anybody well and I really like too like when they were talking about how like everything is black and blue and white and I never thought about it but I like I always noticed how unique their stuff was and I just feel like again it's just on par with this whole like nature is like this explosion of color and this beautiful unique thing and everywhere is different and like really when I've seen their helmets like no two are alike and you really get like you get something special and it was like I they had this little palette they like pick three colors and I did and they mess for like the shirt and they messaged me and they're like Annika it's like we did a test and it just doesn't look good and I did say I was like just put some colors that like make you think of the green amendment because they know about it and like I said they share our stuff and I got this awesome shirt and it's I have friends who also who know Lukey from Ithaca who have the shirts as well and none of our shirts like no two are alike it's just really like thoughtful and they put a lot of hard work into it. So you're, you're going to get literally something you're not going to find anywhere else. And what I really loved about them is, as you said, their, their art and their dedication and their vision comes from a love of nature and a love of experiencing nature in all of its many facets. I really learned a lot. I learned a lot about the warming of the earth and the jet stream and, you know, how things work and, and how, you know, the climate crisis really is affecting every aspect of people's lives. And this is just a different way. People who are trying to get out recreationally to enjoy nature um, are, are having that experience damaged. And when you have that experience damaged, it has psychological implications. It has economic implications for the industry. Um, you know, and it, it, is, it is taking from nature and taking from people the all the joy and beauty that healthy, clean nature can provide. So, and that clearly shines through, shines through from their hearts, through their art, through their work and how they talk about it and how, how much they know. So that yeah. was really, really fascinating, Annika. And I really, good, again, good appreciate your thinking about it. I, I mean, I really, the it. times that I had conversations with Lukey in college and we would pass each other, we even did, I have this really funny night where Lukey and I got roped into doing like an owl study together we didn't even know that we both did it and then he texted like do you want to just like I'm doing this owl study should we just go together I was like oh yeah and we spent the night um catching saw wet owls that were endangered to be tagged and like Lukey and I were just out there um and we were helping put up nets and it was just like 
even though Lukey and I weren't like, didn't hang out all the time, every time I chatted with him, he really had such a passion for the environment and he was very serious about everything he did. Um, so when he started, when he and his brother started this, I really was like, they're gonna, they're gonna like go, go gun ho on this. And it's just been, it really has been great to watch and knowing who he is and just seeing his dedication to it. I mean, it's just, and Kubi's as well. I just didn't know Kubi that well before, but the two of them. And I love too, the whole time they're kind of like riffing off each other. I'm like, this is such a twin vibe, um, but it's just yeah. been great to watch. And I think if anybody who can support them in any way, like go check them out. They are so unique, so wonderful. Yep. So they're warinthewest.co. And then of course, if you want to support uh, the work of Annika and I trying to save the world, greenamendments.org, www.greenamendments.org. You can go there, get engaged, sign a, a letter, sign a petition, find a way to get involved, send a letter to the editor that spreads the word, or you can make a donation. And if you live on the East Coast and you love the beautiful Delaware River, www.delawareriverkeeper.org is a way to get involved and get supportive. Um, Delaware Riverkeeper Network is on the leading edge of so many issues, including um, getting PFAS contamination addressed in a meaningful way, stopping fracking, stopping pipelines, really leading the way, not just within the four states of the Delaware River watershed, but nationally on many, many key issues. So um, we thank you for joining us and, and thank you for staying the hour. And, yeah, and very excited to announce that we officially have a Green Jeans uh, Instagram. Go to at Green Jeans Pod. And we are on Instagram. Of course, follow Green Amendments and Delaware Riverkeeper on Instagram. But if you, you know, want to DM us on there, maybe you want to be a guest, maybe you have some thoughts on topics at Green Jeans Pod on Instagram. We are working on it. So oh, and I can't wait to sell, to share, share Luki and Kubi's art. Yeah, because right? if we're on Instagram and they're on Instagram and on Facebook, we'll be able to also um, link people in to the to the incredible guests that that we had today and incredible people that they are. So with that, Annika, I think we better sign off or people are going to be like, what? I got exactly. stuff to do. <laughs> Thank you for coming on for a very unique episode, everybody. And we'll see you next week on Green